Good morning. Welcome to the Health and Wealth Podcast. It's 7 a.m. Oh, 6.58 a.m. on a Saturday morning. I'm in my dental office. Nobody's in the entire building. I feel like when I'm here early in the morning on the weekends and it's dark and I have like one spotlight on me, I'm running this like conservative underground conspiracy show where all we're going to talk about is how the government puts fluoride in the water to control your thoughts and what you can do about it. So I probably won't cover that topic today um, in the near future, though. So stay tuned. I'm not concerned about politics on this podcast. You shouldn't either. Go listen to other news sources. I'm concerned about health, performance, mental health, and overall well-being. Um, a lot of people complain that this microphone covers my face. There's not much to see behind the microphone, but I'll lower it so you guys can see it. I'm trying to get on the lecture circuit. Um, he wouldn't consider me his friend, but I'm. he's a friend of mine, Dr. Uchi Odadi, I think his name is. He's a Canadian dentist. He lectures all over the world. Um, he's an inspiration. And I just reached out to him and asked him, how do you start lecturing on nutrition, mental health, wellness as a dentist. And he said, just do it. Just get out there, do it, start small. I have another friend. He was on this podcast, Mark Ostash. His daughter and my daughter, well, one of my four daughters, are best friends. And he's a professional public speaker. So he'll work for like DTE or he'll work for like Comcast and go into their company and speak on digital wellness is one of the things he speaks on. Another thing he speaks on is just overall how to feel better in the workplace. So I asked him the same advice. I said, how do I get out there and speak? He said, start small. Why am I telling you this? Because I'm reaching out to my local dental societies. Um, the ones I live near are the Oakland Dental Society. I live in Michigan. The Macomb Dental Society. And... I have a little passion project, and it's on mental health. It's on a story of mine, uh, a story of my mental health. And I want to share it with other dentists, hygienists, and this seems very ambitious, but the general public eventually. And I want to help people. Yes, I want to make money doing it, but deep down and wherever my heart is in my body, I have this urge, this feeling, this connection with other individuals that if you're struggling, I feel like I can help you. So why am I doing a solo podcast on a Saturday morning when my twins are turning, they turn three, we're having a birthday party for them later today. They're probably still sleeping. So I'm going to do this before everyone wakes up. This is me workshopping uh, a lecture I'm going to give this Friday for Dr. Kyle Stanley's mental health platform. If you don't know who he is, he's a, I guess I should call him a celebrity dentist. He's a handsome guy. He looks like a celebrity. He's a dentist in Beverly Hills, California, and he runs this online platform to help dentists dealing with mental health issues, but also more specifically, help dentists dealing with burnout. Burnout's huge. And I love the work he's doing I think, however, and this is not me being arrogant or putting any dentist down in the mental health space, I think every dental coach consultant that I've heard online or I've talked to is looking at it from, I don't want to say the wrong perspective, because that makes me sound arrogant, but they're looking at it from the wrong perspective, this is in my opinion. I think there's a different way to look at mental health. And it's not my idea. It's just through my research and through my personal experience, I found that this is the way to look at it. So the title of this presentation is How to Cure Burnout. I know that sounds arrogant because I'm a DDS, not an MD, not a therapist, not a PhD. But sometimes ideas come from outside the field. Sometimes you'll find an engineer that will figure out something in medicine or a doctor that figures out something in archaeology. So I don't want you to think I'm here giving you a panacea, uh, something that 
cures all mental health, all mental disease. But I really believe that this is a really, really good place to start if you're dealing with burnout as a dentist. Let's say you're trying some Xanax and medication. It's not helping you. Let's say you're trying therapy. It just ain't cutting it for you. Through my research and through my personal experience and also through the lectures on this podcast, I think if you don't go to the source or the root cause, every holistic doctor, holistic dentist is always saying root cause. If you don't go to the root cause of the problem, I don't think you can fix it. And I th- I won't keep you. I think the root cause is in your mitochondria. It's in your cells. It's in your metabolism. I know most people think about metabolism as like six-pack abs. And when you get older, your metabolism slows and you get fat and stupid. I don't think that's fully what metabolism is. And again, these ideas aren't mine. Um, Chris Palmer is a heavy influence. He's a Harvard psychiatrist. I don't know him. He doesn't know me but I follow his work. Alvin Dannenberg, which who I do know, who's a periodontist in North Carolina that put his cancer in remission. Michael Coomer I talk about. He's a biohacker. He's a homesteader. He's in Atlanta, Georgia. Rob Wolf, who's an author. Again, he doesn't know who I am. All these people, Dave Asprey, who's kind of weird, but I think he's a really smart guy. All these people talk about mitochondria. And now... I've been studying this for years with the paleo diet, biohacking, but Chris Palmer's theory on brain energy tied it together for me. He was on the Andrew Huberman podcast maybe a month or two months ago talking about brain energy. I read his book, Brain Energy, and it kind of changed everything for me. Also, the CEO of KetoNade, Frank Yosa, talked about this how there's a gap between how much energy your brain needs and how much we actually get it. So I'm going to get into all of this. This I really appreciate you guys listening to this. I'm going to send this podcast specifically to my mentor group, Pete Buckkiss, Kyle Palasic, Dave Wold, and a couple other people just to get their opinions on it. I'm presenting something very similar Friday, and I already have some feelers out to present in person to a few local societies. If you're in the area... I would love for you guys to come. This is important to me because I feel like if this helps a lot of people or shit, if this helps one person other than me, it's totally worth it. So I have some coffee in a paper cup. I don't know what it is. There's always a joke about this, that coffee in a paper cup from like Tim Morton to Starbucks always tastes better than coffee in like a mug. So this is not from Tim Horton. This is from my little Nespresso machine in the back here. But let's get going here. I'm going to take a quick sip. And I'm going to walk you through how to cure your burnout. And even not changing your external circumstances, we're going to make your life better. I got to take you back. The dates are a little blurred here. I didn't write the dates down yet. Let's just say February 2021, I'm sitting in my attorney's office. Whenever somebody says they're sitting in the attorney's office, you need to look at it from a different perspective. And what they're actually saying is, I'm draining my bank account. I know dentists find it annoying when patients always say, this is too expensive, this is too expensive, but everybody thinks that. Um, the lawyer was 500 bucks an hour. Um, if you back up a couple more months, probably November of 2020, I informed my previous business partners that it wasn't working out for me, that I would like my fully justified, legally bounded, legally written contract buyout. I'd like to split from them and I would like them to live their best life ever, live out their dreams. And I would like to live my best life ever, live out my dreams and just part ways. Life is short. I don't want to be in business with them anymore. They owed me roughly $811,000. If you listen to the podcast, you've heard this before, but I'll reiterate the story. Sent them an email, said, here's a contract. There's a penalty for leaving early. I told them I'll take the penalty. I'm not going to fight it. And I want my almost $800,000 and... Because I was ignorant, I thought these wonderful fellows were 
going to follow the contract they signed. I thought they were going to email me and say, no problem. We'll get our finances together. Go live your life. You're a nice, handsome boy. <laughs> and we'll part ways. And that wasn't the case. Um, they said no. Yes, that's right. At 32, somebody owed me almost a million dollars. It was written in a contract. It wasn't like I paid cash and it was just, I'd go back down to zero. Got this money from a bank. So if I didn't get this money back, I would have went back down to negative 800,000 plus my house debt, all this other crap going on. They said no. So in America, when you have a contract and somebody says they don't want to follow the contract, you have two choices. You roll over, you take the hit, because I'm not a billionaire, I can't take the hit, or you hire a lawyer. So I hired a lawyer, they hired a lawyer, and we got in a lawsuit based off a contract that was already written out. So fast forward, February 2021, we're in mediation. And mediation means I have an attorney, they have an attorney, there's another so-called unbiased attorney who's the mediator, and he will decide what he thinks is fair, and then if we agree upon that, we cut the deal. If we don't agree upon that, we have to go to arbitration, which is a whole other deal, and then arbitration is legally binding. So whatever the arbitrator decides, that's what happens. That's kind of a risk, and that's for another podcast. So we didn't go to arbitration, but I'm sitting in my lawyer's office. We just went through eight hours of mediation, and the mediator wasn't a bad guy, but he doesn't care about me. Um, and I have a really, really, really shitty deal on the table. At that point, I haven't been working for four or five months. I have four kids at home. I have lawyer's fees. I wasn't working because they kicked me out um, of the practice I owned. So the practice I owned, they were using that money to pay the lawsuit. And I was using my meager, measly savings to pay the lawsuit. So I'm like 50, 60 grand into this lawsuit, all savings, not working. I'm sitting at this mediation and I get this terrible, in my opinion, terrible offer. I think it was for like $630,000. So I'm losing 170 if I sign this paper. I've already lost 50,000, maybe 60 fighting this battle. So if I sign this paper, I'm looking at what's 170 plus 50, 220 loss on money I don't have. So again, it's not like I went down to zero. I still got to pay this loan back. My wife is there. We kind of just look at each other and think like, let's just sign this. Let's bury this. Let's end this because looking back now, three years later, I can say it's just a money problem. I'm young. I'm hardworking. I'm a really good dentist. I'll make this back. My kids are healthy, I'm healthy, my wife's healthy, that's all that matters. So we sign the paper and I just break down, I start to cry, and I realize it's fine. I wake up the next morning, I feel like a piece of shit, I just lost a bunch of money. But I know it's going to be okay. I know that the further I get away from this, this is such an easy problem I can solve. But I get depressed. I'm making no money. And something I didn't add in is that I bought another practice right after the mediation. But when you have such a huge debt previously, you'll find this in life too. Banks don't give money to people who need money. Banks give money to people who don't need the money, which is irony to me. So banks weren't super willing to lend me more money to buy another practice. So what I did was, and this is like the dumbest thing you can do, so don't take any financial advice from me. The way COVID worked and the market worked, um, the value of my home skyrocketed, which if you think about it, it's not true value. 
what it actually is is like an inflated value. Like it only has value because the market thinks that people think they can pay that money for my house, but who knows what a house is worth. So I paid enough down in my house over seven years, had enough fake value in my house. I took out a home equity line on my house. And in this home equity line, I used that money to buy my second practice, which made it appear I paid in cash. So the broker thought I just had whatever amount of money laying around to buy my second practice. So here I am. I'm like, I don't know, six, $800,000 from the previous loan. My whole house is leveraged. I'm close to $2 million in debt and I'm working at my new practice. It's stressful. I'm super stressed. But in the, in the back of my mind, I know that like time will cure this because the farther I get away from this, I can do this. I'm still working. My hands work. I'm working. Practice is going good. Then I get a freaking email <clears throat> from my lovely state board. A patient, a previous patient of mine, um, submitted me, reported a board complaint to the board. Whenever this your state board emails you or calls you, most of the time, they're not trying to congratulate you on the good things that you've been doing. They got something to talk about. So I get this board complaint. I'm, I'm stressed out. I don't know. A lot of young dentists, I always worried about getting sued. I always worried about board complaints because I, I never dealt with it. Um, it's funny. I got sued corporate on the business side from other dentists, but actually I sued them. They didn't sue me. But I've never been sued by a patient. i still never been sued by a patient, but this patient reported me to the board. Now I'm really stressed. Now I'm really burnt out because I worry that, I mean, I've never dealt with the board before. What if the board takes away my license? What if the board says, you can't practice anymore. And I can't talk about it, but in my opinion, what happened was unboard worthy. And maybe if you've been reported the board, you feel the same thing. But the board has to take every board complaint and read it and call you and yell at you. So now I'm really stressed out because I'm thinking like, crap, if I lose my license, I'm going to lose my house. There's no way. I can't declare bankruptcy and keep my house. So Here's my thinking. If I lose my license, I'll lose my house. I'll either have to move back in with my parents or move in with my in-laws. And then my kids are coming out of private school. My whole life will collapse. It's scary. It's stressful. But now I think, and I think I thought back then, like, it's kind of, it's fine. If you declare bankruptcy, nobody you know is going to die. Your kids aren't going to die. It could be worse. So board thing goes through. I'm burnt out at this point. I'm sad. I'm burnt depressed. I, I kind of feel hopeless, despair. But I, I kind of know like at the absolute most foundational level of life, it's, it's not over. Then I get the worst phone call of my life. I get a call from my sister. And she says, Vince, it's cancer. Blown away. I, I, I asked her how bad. She says stage four. And I say, what do we do? And just in tears, she says, I'm not sure. It's everywhere. Now, when you hear that news from somebody you love, you look at all your other problems and you think, geez, those aren't problems, but this is. I can't declare bankruptcy to get rid of her cancer. Can't do anything. So this is a real problem. I fly out to where she lives in Denver we talk to her surgeon, we get a plan, we get a referral to a cancer specialist, cancer surgeon, I fly back to Michigan where I live, I get home and I just think like, 
crap. This freaking sucks. Now I feel hopeless. Now I feel absolute despair. Oh, jeez. At this point, I want to give up. Not like kill myself. But at this point, this is true, true rock bottom for me. The only worst thing would be my kids got cancer. My wife got cancer. But this is right up there. This is like, I didn't know what to do. I was numb. If if burnt out is a feeling, if despair, if depression is an absolute feeling, that's where it was. It's funny because you think in your life, oh, I'm so burnt out from this terrible patient. I remember in college, so burnt out from my two finals, but like none of that compares to the stabbing gut punch you get from this. And if you have a loved one that died or... God forbid you have a kid that died. That That is like the worst. If God's real, which I think he is, I think he's really fucked up when that happens. I know people say God's plan, but look, what a misery of life. So I fly back to Denver, or not Denver, I fly back to Detroit. I get home and I'm just sitting there in my room. I'm crying and I'm just thinking to myself, What do I do? I can't give up. <sighs> Two million dollars in debt. I have a really crappy fee-for-service practice. That's another story, but I bought this practice thinking I'd be making a bunch of money, and there was like 10 patients when I got here. <laughs> That's another story. I got four kids. My twins are so young that realistically my wife can't work. If she goes back to work, the childcare would cost more than she could work part-time. Everybody is relying on me to keep this ship going. I can't sink it, but I know it's sinking. So I make a decision. What are you going to do? You're going to kill yourself or you're going to keep going? So I decide, obviously I didn't kill myself, I decide to keep going. And at first, I just didn't know where to step. And the first step I took was looked for alternative treatments for cancer. And since I've been kind of studying nutrition, the paleo diet, ketosis, metabolism, since dental school, even before, it's always been a really special interest of mine. I went back to the books, and I remember learning about this periodontist, Dr. Alvin Dannenberg, that put his cancer in remission. They gave him three months to live. I've had him on this podcast, if you listen to it. I think it's episode, I don't even know, 60. And he put his cancer in remission through the carnivore diet. Crazy, crazy. And he calls himself a metabolic coach. And again, we talked about this earlier. What the hell is a metabolic coach? Well, I interviewed Elvin Dannenberg on my podcast and we dive into it. He basically says cancer isn't genetic cancer. It is environmental, but cancer is a metabolic disease. When you eat food, that food through your mitochondria, through your cells is turned into energy. And when organs can't use that energy properly, bad things happen. This is a very, very simple, very simple explanation of metabolism. But in Dannenberg's mind, when you have poor metabolism, your immune system fails. And your immune system is one of the first defenses against cancer cells. So that was like my first little thread there. Okay. Maybe if cancer is a metabolic disease, I can research stuff to help my sister. Remember, in the beginning, I wasn't thinking burnout. I was just thinking, like, I got to move. I got to do something. And 
nothing will change my external circumstances, but this will kind of help my mind be focused on something. If I talk to Dan and Berg, then I read a lot of work by Jason Fung. Um, he wrote The Diabetes Code, The Obesity Code, and he also wrote the book, The Cancer Code. In fact, I'm sum the entire book up. Again, this is a very simplistic version. He talks about insulin and metabolism, and high insulin levels cause things to grow, like cancer cells. Again, back to metabolism. I read Thomas Seyfried, Cancer is a Metabolic Disease, and even talking just yesterday to Darren Schmidt, a lot about metabolism and cancer. And all of this goes back to mitochondria. And this gets into mental health. So I appreciate you guys staying with me. This is such an important introduction. But it gets to your mitochondria. And if your mitochondria is working properly, your metabolism is working, and your body can efficiently turn food into energy. And energy causes your body to go. Then, just happenstance, I come across this Harvard psychiatrist called Chris Palmer. He was on the Angie Huberman podcast. And he talks about this theory called brain energy theory. And after reading this, it just ties everything together that I'm going to talk about in the next half of this lecture about burnout, mental health, and metabolism. Chris Palmer states this, that our brain needs energy, like all our organs in our body need energy. And like I discussed just previously, if your organs don't get the right energy, they dysfunction. They don't work properly. So a simple example is if your muscle doesn't get the right energy, your muscles don't work as well. If your heart doesn't get the right energy, it doesn't work as well as you want it to. So what does this mean for metabolism and mitochondria? Well, a very simplistic version of this is when you eat food, it goes in your system, it's break, broken down, goes into cells, and your mitochondria converts that food into energy. And then that energy goes into your organs. So Chris Palmer states that when your brain doesn't get that right energy, the correct amount of energy, it dysfunctions or it doesn't work properly. And this is interesting because what happens when your brain doesn't work properly? Well, my first thought is like, if your brain doesn't work properly, it probably turns into like cognitive impairment or it turns into memory loss or something like that or speech or movement disorders. It's a lot of stuff. Um, anxiety, depression, burnout, which we'll get to, lack of motivation, loss of satisfaction, depression, like I just said, or more serious ones like bipolar, schizophrenia, manic depressive. So think about that for a second. If your brain is not working, and back up even more, if your metabolism is broken and your mitochondria are not giving you the energy it needs to your brain, your brain breaks down. So let's look at burnout. What are the symptoms of burnout? I don't have them in front of my notes. I'm going to go kind of based off memory. And because I felt burnout, I'll go based off experience. Burnout is going to be anxiety. You know, Sunday afternoon, you're already worried about work on Monday. So your weekend's not two days or three days if you have Friday off. Your weekend is Friday morning till Sunday at 2. And then you're so anxious Sunday night. Consider that work. Consider that unpaid work. Depression. There's some parts of burnout where you're depressed where you just, you don't have motivation to get up early anymore. You don't have motivation to put a smile on for patients and you kind of lose satisfaction or enjoyment for things you normally had enjoyment for. When I was burnt out, I definitely had this. Irritable. I didn't mention that before. Irritable. If you're burnt out, you're depressed, you're just at your limit. 
you stub your toe, you're ready to stab someone. You're ready to flip out. I remember when I got back from Denver after hearing my sister's diagnosis, because I was at rock bottom. I had no reserves, no resilience. It was July, and the air went out in my house. The air conditioner broke. And you would have thought, I just found out another person in my life just died. Or I just, I'm just i going to prison for the rest of my life. I flipped out because I didn't have air conditioning for one day. I'm not normally like that. That's because I was dealing with burnout. And according to Chris Palmer's theory, my brain had no energy left. I was going on no sleep. I was eating like crap. I was chronically stressed. So right now, you're a dentist or a doctor, if you're listening to this, my audience is both dentists and doctors, and you're burnt out as crap. You went to therapy. It's not really working. You're telling your therapist what's wrong. Your patients, you don't like them. It's funny. Um, I remember talking to somebody, and a lot of people, and I'm not knocking other, I'll call them influencers on mental health, but if you talk to another dentist who preaches mental health, they're like, get rid of all your bad patients, and then it will cure your mental health. What's crazy to me is when I was at rock bottom, if you asked me to get rid of all my bad patients that made me feel terrible, there'd be like three people left. So I would, I'd use some really nice patients. Some of them listen to this, um, and they really actually helped me through my lowest points, which is you wouldn't think a dentist and patient would have that relationship. Some of my patients are just gems. But... You can't get rid of all your patients that annoy you. Or they'll tell you, get more work-life balance. Well, if you're in a bunch of debt and you're trying to get more people in, you can't have work-life balance. I can't work two days a week and go look at flowers and the other days a week because I, I got bills to pay, I got kids to support. Or they'll say, get more sleep. Honestly, if you're super busy, although I'm serious about getting sleep. I get seven hours every night, even on the weekends. I can't get nine hours of sleep. I can't stop and smell the roses. A lot of the advice on how to cure burnout, and this, I'm going to sound a little harsh right now, is like, woo woo, manby pamby, love yourself, write some affirmations down, look in the mirror, and tell yourself you're tough, you're strong, you're lovable, you're the best. It's not bad advice. But it's not going to fix the problem. Finding a life coach is not going to fix the problem unless we go down to the cellular level. We go down to your mitochondria. And that's what we're going to talk about now. If we fix your mitochondria, then the affirmations will help. Then getting rid of that one patient that you hate will help. But if you don't fix your mitochondria, I promise... You're never going to cure your burnout. You're going to hate your career. You're going to hate your life. And I heard a good quote from William Irvine, who writes on stoicism. I think it's, if you have a life full of days that you hate, you're going to end with a life you hate. So if every morning you feel burnt out and you wake up, and I would say to myself, I can't wait to get home to get back to bed. At the end of your life, you will have just wasted your life because you've hated all the days leading up to that. So Chris Palmer talks about there's nine things that break our metabolism. Number one, genetics or epigenetics. So genetics is basically your code, your DNA. You can't change that. You got that from your parents. Some people genetically are just more predisposed to anxiety to depression, to bipolar. But genetics isn't the end-all, be-all for your phenotype or for what manifests physically. Epigenetics is somewhere in the middle. Epigenetics is the expression of your genetics. And this is not way above anything I can articulate, but the environment that acts on your genetics, is the expression is epigenetics. So... Let's say you're prone to diabetes, like I'm prone to diabetes. Um, my father's mother, terrible diabetes. I think that's what killed her in the end, kidney disease. But 
But if I eat a bunch of sugar, I'm prone to diabetes. But if I don't eat a bunch of sugar, I'm not going to get diabetes. So in my genes, I have, I'm probably saying this wrong. I have the genetic predisposition to develop diabetes, but I'm only going to if I eat really crappy or sleep really crappy. The second one is chemical imbalances, which kind of ties in genetics, but some people just have different levels of neurotransmitters in their brain, different levels of all this stuff. That is another contributing factor. The third contributing factor is hormones. Some people have high testosterone, low testosterone, high thyroid hormone, high cortisol. These interact. The fourth one is inflammation. We all hear about that. If you're inflamed, you're sick. The second, or the, sorry, the fifth contributing factor is nutrition in your gut microbiome. Now, we're just kind of in the early stages of gut microbiome, how it affects mental health, but what you eat, how you think, how you feel, it all affects your gut microbiome. The sixth one is drugs, alcohol, and toxins. For those of you that can't see me, I'm finishing the last few sips of my coffee and paper cup. Drugs, alcohol, toxins. Drugs kill your mitochondria. Um, all drugs, prescription, illegal drugs, legal, illicit drugs. Alcohol, alcohol is on its way out. I know people like it, but maybe it's a fad, but everybody's talking about alcohol is terrible. For, and toxins, mold, mercury, all this stuff. Number seven, this one's huge. Sleep, light cycles, circadian rhythm. If your sleep is off, you'll never fix anything. So although Chris Palmer talks about all these influence you at different levels, and I'll get into that in a second, I think if you're going to start anywhere, you're going to start with sleep and early morning light exposure, but we'll get into that. Eight, physical activity. You don't work out, you don't move a lot, it's going to break your metabolism. And nine, and it wasn't until my mid-30s now that I really found this important, Lack of purpose, lack of belonging, lack of love. Um, the more self-help books and more nutrition books I read, even like Joe Dispenza talks about this, you can eat the perfect keto diet, the perfect vegan diet, and I'll just say no vegan diet is perfect. And if you don't have love in your life, if you don't have passion, purpose, it's not going to make you healthy. So those nine factors break your metabolism. There's three reasons why this is good news and three reasons why this is not great news. Because of these nine factors, it's very difficult for me to say, Susie, um, looking at your metabolic profile, which I would never do that because I'm a dentist, it's your hormones. Take a pill, fix your hormones. That may affect your burnout and make you feel better. We don't know which one is causing what in you because all of these factors affect you at a different level of intensity or disproportionately. Let's say, for example, seven hours of sleep affects me different than it affects you. But gluten or sugar affects you different than it affects me. So if I just told you, get seven hours of sleep and you can eat gluten, you may be more affected, or if I get nine hours of sleep and don't eat gluten, it may affect me differently. So it's hard. This is hyper-personalized. I remember I interviewed Dr. Tyler Panzer earlier in my podcast. He's a PhD in pharmacology. He talks about hyper-personalized medicine. This is it. It's you only know, and sometimes you don't even know, but these affect everyone differently. Sometimes it's not 30 more minutes of sleep that will get you a better metabolism. It's more meditation. It's um, reducing your inflammation. It's eating a better diet. It's hard to tell. And it's hard to gauge because you really can't like sit back and say, oh, I feel my metabolism is working better. So there are three reasons why, and that's the first one. It, these nine factors, knowing them makes it difficult but actually easy to fix your metabolism and cure your burnout. So the first reason, 
every factor affects everybody at different intensities. Number two, the same contributing factor, so bad sleep, bad diet, lack of physical activity, will affect you differently at different periods in your life. So lack of sleep will affect you differently at 20 than 30. The best example for me I can think about is diet that I got a C. diff infection in my mid-20s that really screwed up my gut. And carbohydrates affect me differently now than they did before. I have a much harder time regulating my blood sugar and insulin with carbohydrates now than before. Um, When I had less stress, I could sleep less. When I had more stress, I need to be more diligent about sleep. It's funny, I always joke around that in my 20s, I could get drunk and eat a burrito at midnight, wake up at 6 and feel fine. Now if I eat anything past 8, I get a heartburn. So same thing for you. And it's kind of like the older you get, the more they affect you. Lastly, each of these contributing factors, like drug interactions, will interact with each other. So if you get worse sleep, carbohydrates affect you differently. If you eat terrible carbohydrates, it will change the chemical imbalances in your brain. It will increase inflammation, higher inflammation, maybe go back to sleep disturbances. So all of these nine contributing factors or all of these nine, yeah, contributing factors interact with each other. So again, it's hard to say, like, if you sleep better, it will fix everything or if you remove this from your diet. So now you're thinking, well, what do I do? Do I just have to fix all nine? And if you talk to Chris Palmer, which if you do, tell him I said, hi, I think it's amazing. He'd tell you yes. The best way to cure your burnout, to fix your metabolism, to get your mitochondria moving and grooving is just to attack all nine. All nine at one time? No. You can, but life is super busy. But you'll find that if you kind of attack these one at a time, it's almost like it's a habit, you feel better, and it's like a uh, waterfall effect, if I'm saying this right, and you want to attack the next one. So how do you attack genetics? Do you get new parents? How do you attack chemical imbalance, hormones, nutrition, drugs, sleep, physical activity, lack of purpose? Well... Chris Palmer kind of gives some advice, but you see this a lot in doctors that write books. Anyway, this book is amazing. Please go read the book or use Audible. They don't give too much practical advice at the end. I'm not sure why. I, I, nobody told me this. Chris doesn't say this. Chris, like we're first name basis. But I think doctors don't give the best advice at the end because they kind of don't want to be liable for treatment or for giving treatment diagnosis through a book because the book is for education purposes only. So that's where the book is lacking. But good news, you got me. And although I'm not smart, I interviewed a lot of smart people on my podcast. And after basically 10 years of researching this, interviewing a lot of people, came across a really great guy Michael Coomer, who lives in Georgia, who, I guess he's a biohacker. This guy's 40 and he looks like he's 20. Heart of Gold interviewed him. Go see the interview. But on his website, he talks about the eight tenets of health or the eight principles for a healthy life. And I asked Michael where he got these ideas, if he made them up himself. And he said he can't take credit for this because he's collected these eight principles for healthy living through his life. But he really didn't tell me where he got them. So I have to give him credit. Michael, if you're listening, these are your eight tenets. The only thing I think Michael is missing is I added a ninth purpose, although he kind of has it in there. From my reading of philosophy through Ayn Rand, I think that purpose has to be separate. What's funny about these eight or now nine tenets of health is 
if you read Rob Wolf's book, Wired to Eat, his five tenets of health, five of them are in here. And even if you remember the liver king, his 10 tenets of health, it's basically this. So it's not that I'm stealing this from Michael Coomer or, you know, I'm giving him credit for it, but everybody over the years I've researched, I've studied, talks about these nine. And my thought and from my personal experiences, by attacking these nine principles, you will systematically and in a straightforward path, get rid of, mitigate, reduce the nine contributing factors that Chris Palmer, all these scientists believe is leading to lack of brain energy. And remember, this lack of brain energy is leading towards your burnout. And I think that by following these nine things, even if you don't change your other external circumstances, if you're still in insurance, if you still have a crappy work schedule, if there's still those toxic patients, although get rid of those if you can, if you start here, all of that becomes easier. If you fix these nine, talk about me personally, if I fix these nine, my sister was still diagnosed with cancer a year ago. It doesn't change it, but it allows me to deal with it better. I'm selling a bunch of debt. If I fix these nine things, I don't think, unless I call the bank, I don't think they're going <laughs> to dismiss my debt, but I can handle it better. So if you look at this from a mental health or even a self-improvement standpoint, these nine tenets of health will increase mental resilience. If you want to achieve great things, if you want to go out there and go to war, go to war with yourself, go to war with building a business, go to war with making things happen, making people proud, changing the world, you need mental resilience. Remember talking to Eric Vickery, CEO of the Dental All-Star Academy, you need mental resilience. He teaches that a lot. So let's go over these nine categories of how to cure your burnout, how to build mental resilience. And I really believe that your life is going to fall into place if you cure these. Give it time. Once you get those mitochondria up and moving and really burning, making the energy, it's going to be great. Okay, number one. And I know I said that I don't know if one is higher than another, But if you're at absolute rock bottom, the very bottom, I suggest you start with sleep. I think sleep is where to start. Research shows seven to nine. I think that's becoming vogue. I'll be upfront. I think it's eight. Matt Walker, who wrote the book, Why We Sleep, says people who think they need six hours of sleep are wrong. Because there is a genetic component and a very small population of people can thrive off six hours of sleep. But if you round off the percent of people who can thrive off six hours, it's close to zero. You have a higher chance of winning the lottery and being struck by lightning at the same time, which would be like, I guess they would cancel each other out, but it's zero. You can't thrive off six hours. I went for 18 months off six hours and felt like absolute crap. Seven hours for me is an absolute bare minimum. Lights off at 9.30. I'm up at five. I get seven and a half, seven hours of sleep. Not always 9.30. So what are some good ways you can sleep? I'm going to run through these nine and tell you, but sleep number one, wake up and go to bed at the same time every night. This is the most important thing also with caffeine and light. But if you're struggling with insomnia, the number one thing you need to do is even on the weekends, I'm telling you, waking up early on the weekends is the best. It's better than anything you're doing in your life, especially in the summertime. So if you want good sleep, here are three things you got to do. Go to bed and wake up Sorry, I'll probably cut that part out. Go to bed and wake up at the same time every day. 
9 30 to 5 10 to 5 9 to 6 get 7 to 9 hours of sleep number 2 cut caffeine before noon maybe 2 p.m. you'll know how it affects you I'm a little more sensitive to caffeine although I love coffee I just drank 12 cups during this podcast I cut it off at noon because caffeine lingers in your body so if you have like five cups before noon your body has to burn all of that caffeine metabolize all that caffeine by whenever you go to bed so it's not like you have seven hours to get rid of one cup you have seven hours for your body to slowly break down all that caffeine and number three this is a big one i wear those orange trendy blocking glasses at night if you look at chris palmer's nine contributing factors he talks a lot about circadian rhythms light's gonna throw it off if you listen to andrew huberman Light is huge. So if you can get as much natural light in the morning and then reduce as much artificial light in the evening, that's going to get your sleep better. So number one, sleep. Number two, chronic stress. And these nine contributing factors, inflammation, sleep loss, drugs, all these things, where are they coming from? Why are you taking drugs? You're stressed. Why do you have terrible sleep? You're stressed. So after you get your architecture of your sleep set, number two is dealing with chronic stress. So the way I look at this is if you want to like eliminate all chronic stress from your life, it's like live on a side of a mountain. Side note, I had like a third cousin that I think went crazy that actually left his family and moved in the side of a mountain in California. And I swear to God, I think he was like selling frog piss as like a therapy. I don't want to say his name. I don't think he paid his taxes. He might be in jail. But if you want to remove all chronic stress from your life, it's impossible. Move to the side of a mountain, it's impossible. So you should absolutely get rid of the most outrageous stress in your life. Um, if you have a patient that's like abusing you, calling you, coming in, throwing stuff around the office, threatening you, that's causing stress, acute and chronic. Get rid of them. If you're in a terrible marriage where your spouse is punching you in the face when you're sleeping, they're cheating on you, they're poisoning you, get rid of that person. All this chronic stress, you know what it is in your life. It's ridiculous. Get rid of it. However, the other chronic stress in your life don't think you have to get rid of it. Think you have to develop the tools to deal with it. So there's this study that Red and Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf. And I forgot who wrote the study. I'll link this where they took two groups of people. One group of people, they had, no, they didn't take two groups of people. They surveyed people and, and health outcomes. And the people that had the same level of chronic stress but viewed stress as detrimental to their health, had worse health outcomes than the same people that had the same level of stress or same group of people, same level of stress, but they viewed stress as advantageous, as like a workout and not detrimental to their health. And it didn't affect their health as much. They had better health outcomes. So when you're dealing with chronic stress, the best way to look at chronic stress is not that it's hurting you, that it's helping you. So remove all the terrible, outrageous stress that you can remove in your life. But the rest of the chronic stress, deal with it and think it's not hurting you, but it's helping you. So what are ways you can do that? First mindset, what I just said, you have to absolutely don't think of it as hurting your health. The second way of looking at chronic stress is through the lens of stoicism. And this is, if I can look back at anything and how to deal with stress in my life, other than like exercise, nutrition, sleep, love, this type of mental mind gymnastics or stoicism, in my opinion, is like the way to go. So there's a couple components. The first component is what the Stoics called negative visualization. So it's thinking to yourself, how could things be worse? But not in a way where like my life is so bad, how can it be worse? And making that worse 
gives you more anxiety. It's like, say you're stuck in traffic. This is a silly example. And you're late to work or late to a meeting. How could things be worse? You could have cut, catch this outrageous intestinal virus and have terrible diarrhea on your way to where you're going. And the way it could be worse is you could poop your pants in your car on your way to your meeting. It's silly. It's a silly mind exercise, but by thinking that way, it anchors your mind into where it could be worse, and you get a little more delight or less anger on where you are now. It's called reframing, negative visualization. No, it's not reframing. It's either called anchoring or negative visualization. Do this every day the rest of your life. Negative visualization. I do it all the time. How could it be worse? How uh, it could be my car could have a flat tire. I could, how could it be worse if after I got my sister's diagnosis, I'm in all this debt. What if I went blind and I couldn't work? What if I lost my license in that board review? What it could always be worse. What if I got home and like my whole family was dead? That's dramatic. That's depressing. It could always be worse. So whatever is happening to you, think to yourself, how could this be worse? Not to make you anxious, but to make you super grateful for how it is now. Another way to look at it, and William Irvine talks about this a lot, is think of these setbacks in your life, these little setbacks, angry patient, um, uncollectible patient. When you're in dental practice, people don't understand this, your margins are so thin. You don't collect for a few days, you're dipping into your personal funds to pay payroll. So think of these as tests as they test your resolve and it's making you stronger. And the reason why you want to be stronger so you can handle your chronic stress more. So I find that the mental ways to look at stress are negative visualization, consider chronic stress as something that's helping you and reframing or how can you reframe this to a more positive experience? Third one, and this also helps with chronic stress, exercise. If you read Peter Atia's book, Outlive, he is hardened. He is steadfast on saying that evidence or research shows exercise is the number one component to longevity. There's something called muscle-centric health or muscle-centric medicine that the more muscle mass you have, the longer you'll live. Peter Tia believes that the more strength you have, especially grip strength, the longer you live. But this type of exercise is going to fix your mitochondria. It's going to fix your burnout for two reasons. It's a good stress reliever, helps reduce chronic stress, helps make you more resilient to acute stress. So three reasons. And the last one is it just makes you healthier. It fixes your metabolism. What do you do? Strength and cardio. Why strength? Strength helps you live longer. Why cardio? Because your VO2 max, which is how your heart uses oxygen and pumps the blood through while you're exercising, I'm probably explaining that wrong, is some of the best indicators of longevity. Number four, nutrition. Nutrition, in my opinion, is worse than politics. It's worse than religion. So I'm not going to die. You guys, if you listen to this, I'm biased. I think that a low-carb, ketogenic diet maybe carnivore diet with some fruit is optimal diet. But there's vegans that live to 100. Uh, my grandparents that are in their mid-90s eat spaghetti every day. So what I would do for nutrition is find one that works for you. But if you're going to eliminate anything, junk food, seed oils, white sugar, fried food, fake foods, um, What's his name? Dr. Kevin Reese. Great guy. I had him on the podcast. He talks about there's four foods to eliminate. Gluten, oils, fake food, fried foods. That's a good place to start. And there's so much evidence. I followed this. I think her name's Diana. That she posted this research that mental health outcomes and junk food in kids in Brazil and kids had more ADD. Um, mental disorders, the more junk food they ate. So junk food breaks your metabolism, 
makes you crazy. The way to fix it, nutrition. The fifth one is community. I have a community. I wish it was in person, but just the way it worked out, the dudes I found is online. Um, Pete Buckus, Kyle Pulasic, Dave Wold. We all have a text group. I have other text groups too, but that's like the most active one. They're all dentists. Um, Michael Lowe, who I interviewed on this podcast, had an Instagram reel and talked about the number one factor in longevity is being around people you love, strong community. So another way to fix your metabolism is community. Get around people you love. You feel this. You're with your friends. You're with your family. You're laughing. You have a good time. You feel better. Number six, nature. Um, Grounding. It's not bullshit. I used to think it was. Grounding, get your feet on the ground, get outside, get your some light in your eyes. There's so much research that shows nature lowers blood pressure, helps you feel better, increases your immune system. There's also this book by Cam Newton. He's a professor of MIT talking about people that have trouble figuring out a problem that needs creative thinking. If they take a break or took a break and went out in nature, and came back, they had a better ability to think creatively to fix the problem than people that just kept working on the problem. So there's definitely something about nature that will fix your metabolism. You have to get out in nature. You felt this. You've gone for a hike and like, wow, this is great. Number seven, toxins. I just talked to Darren Schmidt. He talks about parasites mold. I think alcohol is a toxin. I think white sugar is a toxin. Artificial sweeteners, fake foods. Remove all these toxins from your life. It's going to fix your metabolism. Number eight, purpose. I think a good way to look at this is from a male perspective, maybe your purpose is work, maybe female too. Um, But your purpose doesn't have to be work. My purpose is twofold and Yours is too. And if you look at, I think Brene Brown talks about this. There's two things in your life you need for purpose. Purpose in family, purpose in work. What is my purpose? My purpose is to help as many people as possible achieve help. Specifically, mental health, get them back on track. I hope to treat as many patients as possible not to fix their teeth, although I want to, but to improve their lives so they can live better lives. So I was talking to John Bonono. I think that's not how you say his last name. Um, he's a CEO at Cultura, which is a dental consulting firm. His life purpose is simple, to leave people better than when he found them. And that's mine, and I hope to do it through this podcast. Ayn Rand talks about productivity Your essential work purpose, your essential purpose in life should be work to produce things that make the world a better place. Find a purpose. If your purpose is solely to make money, I don't think that's going to help you. Money is great. I love capitalism, but your purpose has got to be something deeper than that. Find a purpose. It's going to fix your metabolism. And the last one, I love this one. Michael Coomer wrote this in his eight. So the only one I added is purpose. His eight. He wrote hormesis. I'm going to have to do a whole nother podcast on hormesis. This is like, this is what's missing in America and the youth and all these kids that are so soft. I'm not saying I'm not soft, but like Gen Z and Gen Alpha are just a bunch of pillowcases. So hormesis, what is hormesis? Hormesis is maybe voluntarily, but inducing acute stress to strengthen the organism. So hormesis for you, for me, lifting weights, sprinting, cold showers, hot sauna, negative visualization. So it it all wraps together. But hormesis is going to the tough school, school of toughness, and doing something hard that makes you stronger in the end. This is even like, so when I'm going to go public speaking, it fills my purpose. It's also hormesis because it's going to make me nervous to speak in front of a bunch of people, but it's good for me. So those are the nine ways, the nine holistic 
we'll call them prescriptions, to deal with the nine contributing factors to fix your metabolism. So you're thinking, wow, this is great. Where do I start? It's hard to tell you where to start, but I think you start with sleep. Go back through this podcast and go through these nine. Reach out to me. I always give my number. People call 586-335-6833. I'm just getting into personal coaching for these. Um, I'd love to help you out, but these nine factors are going to be what set you straight. So if you're in therapy for burnout, if you're on medication for burnout, if you're, I don't know, meditating for burnout, all that helps. Meditating helps with chronic stress, but truly believe this is game changing. I think if you want to fix your burnout, you have an easier time fixing your metabolism, fixing your mitochondria, than trying to fix all your outside circumstances. Because if you're trying to get rid of every patient that upsets you, if you're trying to collect on every bad debt, if you're trying to get a better work-life balance, if you're trying to do self-love and affirmations, although that's good, you're going to be chasing the wrong, you're going to be, what they say, majoring in the minor and minoring in the major. This is the major. And this is going to help it. This is going to fix it. One more thing before we go. Two days ago, my sister rang the bell and she finished her last chemotherapy session. She did some blood work. She did some scans. She's cancer-free. I know nothing in life is guaranteed, but it's a good win. You know, I get a little emotional talking about this. This one's dedicated to her. She's alive. Maria, you beat stage four cancer. So proud of you. You give... You give me the strength to keep going. And I hope people that are listening, if you're dealing with with burnout, if you're depressed, if you want to give up, I hope this podcast will give you the strength to keep going because you can get there. I love you guys for listening. Thank you again. And... Talk to you guys soon. Thank you.